Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 144 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, um, you know what I love? I love like long form conversation. I, I think that's one of the things that we've kind of lost or are losing in our culture today. It's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I, I love doing things that are just everybody says won't work. I know a lot of you are like that. People say it won't work. You're like, ah. I'm going to make it work. So when I started blogging seriously about four and a half years ago, I remember lots of people said, man, nobody will read over three or 400 words. And uh, I decided to write posts that were at first 800 words and a thousand. Often a lot of my blog posts, which you can find, by the way, at leadlikeneverbefore.com. Uh, just click on blog. Uh, now they, they're pushing like 1,500, 2,000 words and they get read tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of times. And it's crazy. It's like people read that stuff. Same with this podcast. People said it has to be 17 minutes or 22 minutes because that's the length of the commute. I'm like, eh, I just think good conversations take longer than that. And, uh, and so, you know, went out there on a limb almost three years ago and started this podcast with, you know, hour-long episodes, sometimes longer, and man, you guys, you guys have been great. So um, part of that is just a passion I've got around long-form thought and long-form thinking. I'm spending this summer, the summer of 2017, writing my next book, which will be a longer book. And today's guest, Barnabas Piper, just reminds me of why I think that's such an important commitment. We've got an hour-long conversation, okay? You got to, or maybe not quite that, but but a full conversation about curiosity. Like, you're like, how, how can you talk about curiosity for uh, that long? Hang on, all right? And, and this is the kind of stuff that I think is missing in a lot of the public dialogue where it's just sound bites and people snapping at each other. And so, anyway, I'm really excited about this conversation. And if you know Barnabas, you got to love him. He's been a guest before on this podcast. Subscribers, you know that. And you can subscribe for free. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever. Um, just scroll back and you're going to see uh, Barnabas was on early on in this podcast back in the day. So anyway, that's my little like editorial, minatorial on, on long form thinking. Hey, I want to thank a couple of partners um, who bring this podcast to you. And they are incredible because they allow you to get it for free and, and great content, great guests, all that stuff. Thank you, um, first of all, to trainedup.church. Hey, if you are interested in training your volunteers and you have not yet checked out trainedup.church. Would you do that right now? Just trainedup.church. Here's what they do. Because so many of us struggle to get everybody in a room and it's almost impossible to get people in a room. Well, why don't you bring training to people rather than people to training? And that's the idea behind trainedup.church is they take your training they upload it, and basically it becomes like this mini online course that your volunteers can do anytime, anywhere, from any device. Professionally handled, you don't have to build the infrastructure. In fact, if you don't even have video gear, you can get video gear from them. They will write the script for you, or you're like, nah, I don't want to do that, I just want to train volunteers. They actually have done for you volunteer training videos. So if you're a small church and you're like, yeah, I just wish someone would come in and train our guest services team, well, they've already done that. Trainedup.church. 
Uh, we'll get you everything you need. Go over and check them out and tell them we sent you over there. I sent them over there. Uh, and also, have you guys heard about what's happening on the Orange Tour this fall? Man, it's really exciting. So I'm usually a part of that. I'm so excited about what's happening this fall. Um, but Andy Stanley is joining us. So it's a combined deep and wide and orange tour. So Andy's going to be in five cities. And then the orange tour is coming to 20 cities. So it's a chance to look at senior leadership at a, in a whole new way. Uh, also, next generation leadership. How do you reach young families? So Reggie Joyner, Andy Stanley on the Deep and Wide Tour and the Orange Tour. You can get all the details at orangetour.org. So thanks to those guys for bringing this podcast your way and also for trainedup.church. And now into longer form, I, I hope meaningful thinking, here's my conversation with Barnabas Piper, who uh, tells some great stories too about with his tradition, of course, his father is John Piper, uh, curiosity was actually encouraged when he was a child. So parents, leaders, thinkers, listen up. It's going to be great. Well, Barnabas, so good to have you back on the podcast. Welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back. It's a pleasure. Hey, that's great. So uh, Barnabas, as you know, host of several podcasts, author of many books and a new job at Lifeway these days. What are you up to? Yeah, as of, uh, the, as of the beginning of the year, I moved from the LifeWay leadership team, so working with churches on leadership development, to our uh, academic publishing and Bible software team to oversee all of their marketing. So that's my, my new venture going forward. Well, that's a lot of fun. And I want to I try to guess here publicly, are you the uh, ghost author of the Babylon Bee? <laughs> I, it's funny, I get asked, I get asked that you? about once a week. And uh, I have never contributed to the Babylon Bee. Um, oh, you can say that. It's uh, no, it's it's, it's a here's here's why. If I was going to write something as funny as what they have, I'm putting my name on it. <laughs> uh, so they they do some hilarious stuff. But if I'm going to be that funny, I want it. I want credit for it. Do you know who's behind it? And you just can't tell. I know the guy who runs the site, but they have a whole bunch of contributors. I think he takes submissions. It's a guy named Adam Ford who runs the site. Oh, okay. And, but I think he, I think he takes submissions from you know people who apparently are all very funny. And give us last time we were together in Nashville. Uh, and by the way, I'm still wearing that incredible fleece you guys got me. It's great. I was just wearing the same one yesterday. Yeah, it's it's so comfortable. Um, you put me onto some good Twitter accounts like Fake JD Greer. Uh, what are some other like great Twitter accounts that you love to follow? Because you have a great sense of humor. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, fake, fake J.D. Greer is a fun one, um, especially around like the Southern Baptist Convention time, because right. it's all very it's a very upbeat, but mm -hmm. really loves to, to poke fun. Uh, Church curmudgeon is a fun one. Yeah, he's uh, good. If you don't follow. That's sort of a, a, a classic. Uh, let's see who else. Um, um, there's a there's a handful of funny ones. Uh, there's there's a there's a handful of church ones. I think there's one called underappreciated or unappreciated pastor. Who's okay. another one that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and then there's one. I think I think the Twitter handle is something like bitter blue Betty, and uh, she's like a she she's like a a church secretary or something along those lines who's just angry, just like an angry old lady at church. <laughs> um, so those those are all quite amusing. Uh huh. And you do the Happy Ramp podcast, and with Todd Adkins and others, you do the uh, Five LQ to Five Leadership right, yep. Questions. Five Leadership Questions one. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, you got a brand new book that just came out on curiosity, which got my curiosity. I'm actually writing about curiosity for my own book Hurts. next year. Uh, so fascinated by it. What what made you a curious person? Like, why write a book on curiosity? Yeah, that's a. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> talking about curiosity is tough because it's nebulous. And we were talking yeah. before we started reporting about take it's an abstract concept. And so trying to speak definitively about it's a little tricky. But in terms of why I'm a curious person, I think uh, the environment in which my parents raised me had a yeah. lot to do with it. Um, uh, I grew up in a really diverse neighborhood in Minneapolis. Uh, at the time, it was one of the most diverse in terms of languages spoken in the mm. country. Um, uh, so the urban, urban and diverse context, I uh, grew up reading a ton. Um, mm -hmm. And my parents didn't put a lot of stipulations on me in terms of what I could and couldn't read. So I, I read that in the book. This was this was kind of interesting too. And just to connect the dots for yeah. uh, listeners, I mean, you stand in your own right as a leader, as a thinker, etc. But you come from a, a parent, one of your parents, or both <laughs> of your parents actually, a fairly high profile. So go ahead and fill in the blanks for yeah, listeners. Yeah. So my dad is John Piper. My mom mm -hmm. is Noel Piper. He's uh, he's probably the better known of the at least numerically yeah. uh, of the two. Uh, I would say my mom's influence in my curiosity might be greater than my dad's because yeah. um, she is she's an avid reader, loves mysteries, loves to travel. Um, she's not an adventurous person in terms of risk taking, mm -hmm. but she is a very easygoing person in terms of going with the flow. So family trips were, were a lot of like, sure, let's go there. Let's do that. Let's try this. And, uh, and so there was just a lot of experiences that I had growing up, which in retrospect were somewhat unusual at the time. It just seemed like family. It just seemed normal. It's just family, right? Whatever you grew up with is normal for better right. or for worse. Yeah, that really surprised me. And by the way, this is this is a really interesting book. I was saying to Barnabas ahead of time, it's not easy when you have an abstract subject like curiosity to keep it going for 40,000 words. And you do, I think, a masterful job of it. Like it is a well-written book. It's a well-thought-out book. And I, I would suggest people actually go out and pick up the book. Um, well, and I, I, don't, I don't say that all the time. It's a really good book. But you do talk about your parents and... I think that if you ask most people on the street, it's like, okay, you grew up in John Piper's house, heavily censored home or not, in terms of what the kids can consume, most people would make the assumption, yeah, you're not playing any video games, not watching any Disney movies, you know, beyond G. And and that really wasn't the milieu at your home at all, was it? No, it wasn't. And now I did grow up without a TV, but that wasn't a moral statement. That was because my parents would rather, they just said, if we have it, we'll waste time watching it. Okay. And there are better ways to spend time. So, I didn't know that. But if, but if I wanted to go to movies or watch games or whatever, I had, they had no problem with me doing that elsewhere. And I didn't have to hide it. It wasn't, right. there was no, no moral equation there. Um, but the, what they did uh, so well in all of this uh, was to teach me how to ask questions about the things I wanted to uh, invest my time in. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think I use the example of the goosebumps books in, in the, the curious Christian. Yeah. Tell book. that story. Cause that, that was really interesting. And lots of parents are listening with, with their ears on right now too, cause their kids are going to places, reading things, watching things that they're not really comfortable with. And right. your, your parents had a really interesting approach to that. Yeah. So the goosebumps books are sort of children's horror stories. They're not, they're not incredibly gory and whatever, but they are, mm -hmm. they're scary. They're frightening, ghoulish. Uh, Burtonish, and they were, right. <laughs> they were really popular when I was, uh, maybe 10, 11 years old. That's I think mm -hmm. about whatever, about that age. Um, and I started to read them. And so, uh, you know, I just started mowing through them cause we'd be at the library once a week getting books and things. And I knew my parents, uh, they weren't real excited about that. They just thought there's better stuff you could be reading, mm -hmm. but never once did they say, we don't think you should read those. Really? There was just a series of sort of subtle conversations about what do you like about those? 
kind of what are you getting out of them? What's what what are you learning? What is how is that how do you know how does that strike you? And um and what it did was it just helped me begin to see that I get greater satisfaction out of reading other kinds of books than this kind of book. There are other mm. books that are better stories or more fulfilling or I mean I might use the term redemptive now at 10 I wouldn't have. Yeah, um, yeah. And so and and so what they did was they they just began to help me think about the things that I was engaged in. And they did this, my dad had similar conversations with me over and over and over again about movies I wanted to go see. Um, and very rarely was it just, you can't do that. It was, it was almost always, why do you want to do that? Did they ever draw boundaries? Did they ever say like, I'm sure if you're like, Hey, I'm going to try drugs, they would be like, "Uh, (laughs) no, but Yes, we yeah, but we had house rules for sure, and uh, but most of the rules were were along explicitly biblical lines. So in terms okay. of in terms of honesty, in terms of respecting people, in terms of those kinds of things. But when it comes to things like entertainment uh, or hobbies, there's not a lot that's explicitly biblical. There's there are just there there are principles of what is and is not more or less beneficial. And, and what that allowed me to do was to explore a lot of things. So my parents had no influence whatsoever on what I enjoy musically, for example. We didn't mm-hmm. have a very musical house, but they also didn't put a limit on what I could listen to, really. Now, I'm sure if they had walked in and I was listening to Tupac in the room, they might yeah. have not enjoyed that. So I just listened <laughs> to it quietly. Uh, so, so, but that means I could develop a taste for jazz and for hip hop and for, you know, uh, some grunge rock and just kind of an eclectic taste because there wasn't a sense of like, we only do Christian music in this house or, right. you know, that's sinful music or whatever the case was. Now that, that, that is just really fascinating to me because again, I don't think that's what most people would have predicted and, and hats off to your parents for having that approach. What did that do to you? And uh, fill everybody in, you don't have to give you your exact age, but you're early thirties, right? Are you not? Yeah, I'm almost 34. Okay. So early thirties, young leader still, but, you know, rewind 15 years or so, yeah. um, and people get the cultural context of that. And sure, it's different today with smartphones and everything. But like, mm-hmm. what did that do for you when you didn't have those explicit boundaries? Your dad's a very influential preacher, and you're developing your own moral standard and compass in, in the sense of curiosity that you're now writing about. Yeah, I think, well, I'm, I'm sure from now that I'm a parent myself, I have a, yeah. an 11-year-old and 8-year-old. Putting myself in my own parents' shoes, I'm sure it felt like a risk to them because when you give an adolescent freedom, you are running the risk of them doing really dumb stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I think they also had either an intuitive or a very locked in sense that if they had limited me and said, you may not do this, all it would have done is start World War Three because Mm -hmm. I don't I'm not the type to respond well to uh, to real explicit rules without a real good explanation. Gotcha. And so they they dealt in the why constantly. Why do we do this? What? Why is this a thing that we believe? Why is this a thing that a standard that we hold? And so even if I didn't want to follow the standard, I at least had a real clear understanding of why it existed. So there hmm. wasn't this this arbitrary set of rules that I would have rebelled against. Was um, that the same approach for your siblings as well, or was that more you because you were really strong willed? Uh, well, I have three older brothers. My guess is my parents got better at parenting as they went along, <laughs> and so, um, and and so they probably did a maybe did a better job with me than with my older siblings. But I I don't know that for sure. 
Hmm. Uh, you know, I haven't talked at length with my brothers about this. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, th- I think every parent who's invested learns as they go along. And so they make right. mistakes with the first children that maybe they don't later. And it, it might look like favoritism. But uh, in reality, it might just be learning to be a little bit more gracious and open handed. Oh, yeah. Um, you have no idea what so. you're doing. Really? No. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I'm reminded every day that, yeah, parenting is an exercise in what the heck is going on. Yeah. So your curiosity developed and you didn't feel, it wasn't necessarily, you've got a chapter in your book where you talk about inbounds, out of bounds. What would be an example of inbounds versus out of bounds curiosity um, to you? Yeah, I think, well, out of bounds is much easier because I think inbounds and out of bounds is where a lot of Christians are going to go with curiosity. Curiosity terrifies uh, conservative Christians. It really does, doesn't it? Because it, it feels like, because legalism and boundaries are much easier. They're mm. wrong, but yeah. they're easier. It's much easier to say, we're just going to draw a line here and and we're not going to do this. It's like when a company creates a policy, you know, no tweeting about X, no doing this. Well, the <laughs> policy is to protect you from the handful of foolish people in the company, but mm. it doesn't allow people to have any freedom. And legalism right. is the same way. It just cuts off freedom, but it's simpler and easier. So out of bounds curiosity, if you want to go to a, a distinct, like sort of one of the best examples in terms of how curiosity has has been affected by sin, porn, the porn mm. industry, that is sexual curiosity taken to the extreme uh, in, in just about every way, extreme deviance yeah. um, and and taking something that is amazing and beautiful and a gift from God and designed to be to, but designed for pleasure and for even for exploration in the right context right. and completely ruining it. Right. Destroying it and destroying people. Yeah. And, and, and people are then destroyed through it, but people are also made really, really rich off of it. Yeah. And so like that, and, and then, but then also like our temptation to partake in that as a viewer, sort of that voyeuristic curiosity where we're not doing the deviant thing, but we're enjoying the deviant thing mm-hmm. is that's curiosity that's out of bounds. Right. Um, so that's, I mean, that's an extreme example, but I think, I think the other thing can be just what is your heart behind what you are doing? So I mentioned earlier things like hip hop music or rap music, like mm-hmm. that's a thing that is a magnificent art form. That's, right. it is, there are incredibly talented people who are who are poets and musicians and cultural exegetes who who can tell a story like nobody's business. And there's also a lot of filth uh, mm-hmm. in in certain you know in certain songs or certain albums, certain parts of that genre. And so, curiosity that's out of bounds is just sort of this thoughtless like oh I'm just going to delve into hip hop. Curiosity that's in bounces is looking for truth. What is true? What is beautiful? What is good? in this genre. And you can apply that to literature, you can apply it to art, to film, to to just about anything in terms of that inbounds, out of bounds concept. How old were you when you got that level of insight? And I'm sure at 33, 34, it's going to be very different than when you were 16. But like, did the penny start to drop for you when you were 12, when you were 16, when you were 20? Like when when did you realize, oh, this is inbounds, this is out of bounds, this is helpful, this is not helpful? Because it sounds like even with the the more permissive guidelines in your home, mm-hmm. you didn't end up in the ditch with needles sticking out of your arm, you know, in, in that process. 
Yeah, not not in that way. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I made my my fair share of idiot uh, decisions along the way, but sure. not, yeah, not, no, not not like that. Not that one. Not um, life and death. Uh, I would say that it it developed with my own sort of self awareness, you know, with mm. with the development of the frontal lobe, if you will. So I'd say like late high school, I mostly just chafed against legalism. But I right. couldn't have articulated why. Mm -hmm. And then throughout college, as I as I encountered different uh, teachers of the Bible and different people with different perspectives, because I went to a, I went to Wheaton College where there was people from a whole bunch of different evangelical traditions, um, which challenged me in really fruitful ways theologically and culturally and different things, but still in, in a pretty safe Christian environment. At least yeah. I, it was beneficial <laughs> to me to be in that environment. Um, some people felt very trapped by it. Um, and then post-college, I began to, to feel like I could kind of make my own decisions and articulate why, why is it okay to engage in this art form that some people say is, um, is you know, out of bounds because of the language or whatever. So hip-hop music or, um, you know, film, you know, people just, people want to abide by the ratings and film PG, PG 13. We don't right. watch any movies that are worse than PG 13. Well, you're missing a whole lot of beauty and truth if mm. you draw that line. So the question is, do you have the curiosity to do your homework and say, why is this movie that's rated R beautiful? And this movie that's rated R horrendous. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to articulate between the two. <laughs> and, and why so, is this PG-13 movie horrible? Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, PG-13 is not necessarily any better. Certainly yeah. not artistically and or necessarily morally either. Yeah. Oh, th that's really good. And so that engendered in you a sense of curiosity, even as a young adult. Yes. Yeah. And I, th I think it actually grew as I got older because that's one of the amazing things about curiosity. If If you begin to see curiosity as kind of a current that runs mm -hmm. through life, um, it, you begin to see it as, as a self multiplying thing yeah. because curiosity breeds curiosity. Cause the mm. more you discover, the more you want to discover and the more you want to discover, the more you discover. And this becomes a cyclical thing. So you, you delve into an art form and you learn more about it. And then you learn the, about the creators of it and their stories. And you, you can do the same thing in terms of crossing cultures. You know, you, you meet a neighbor who is, who is an immigrant or who is a refugee or who grew up in a, just a very different context than you. And you mm -hmm. begin to learn cultures and languages and, and it breeds greater curiosity and greater appreciation for all of these things that, that bear God's fingerprints. Yeah. And so let's, let's get back to what you said about legalism and, and mm -hmm. conservative evangelical Christianity. I mean, what would you say to people who say, look, we know what the truth is. It's in Jesus. It's in scripture. It's in our faith. Why would I ever want to explore anything beyond that? Like, isn't that just unfaithful? I've heard that argument before, and I've certainly seen it lived out more than I've ever yeah. heard it articulated. Uh, what do you say about that? Because I think there are a lot of conservative Christians, and I would consider myself a conservative Christian. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you would as well, who, yeah. who consider curiosity to almost be equivalent to unfaithfulness. And, and I would say, um, well, that when it's articulated, that just sounds so sad to me. <laughs> It really um, for, does, but for, for for two reasons. One is inward focused, and one is outward focused. Mm -hmm. On the inward focused side, so my relationship with God. If you have settled on knowing the truth, you don't know the truth because mm -hmm. you failed to recognize that Jesus Christ 
and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are these infinite beings, mm. and you don't know anything. I mean, you 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 know the essentials. Yeah, yeah. Being saved, but you don't know a fraction of a portion of a tiny iota of who they are. And so if you have lost curiosity in in your own faith, you will shrivel up and die. Mm. You know, your your soul will just have a will just be boxed up. And so so the inward focus side has to say that's sad for your sake. It's sad because your wonder and love and amazement at at God, at Jesus, at the work of Christ are just you you have decided that they have an extent. Yeah. This is this is exactly how amazed I can be. That's a shame. Um mm. and and it's risky. On the outward focus side, if that's how your inward is, what are people going to see about you? Yeah. What are you know, how are you going to represent the gospel to people? Cuz if our mission as followers of Christ is to fulfill the great commission, you know, yeah. so go and make disciples to reflect Jesus. And I talk about being an image bearer in the book and how we're a finite flawed person asked to be an image bearer of an infinite, perfect God. Mm. Well, we have to be curious people so that we know how to reflect God across a culture, across a yep. language, across, across a, a belief difference. If I don't know what a Mormon believes, how can I express the truth to them in a way that is beautiful? If I don't know what a Muslim believes, how can I express the the wonder of freedom in Christ in a way that that may speak to their need? And so exploring what other people believe, exploring cultural realities is done in this in the vocation of being an image bearer of God effectively and beautifully and powerfully. That's the idea. Yeah, and fulfilling the Great Commission. And I think that's a really good point. I mean, even if you look inside the faith, if you're like, no, I know everything and I've got it all figured out and I'm going to cling to what I know, you you don't have any sense of wonder. You don't have any sense of awe. You don't have any sense of... How do you worship at church on Sunday if you're confident that you've nailed it? Yeah, I mean... what, what, what What do you have left to be amazed about? Certainty becomes idolatry. Certainly, certainty yeah. becomes becomes you know knowledge, which becomes idolatry in a sense. You say um, hell is full of the least curious people. <laughs> Explain. Yeah, that's uh, that. That was one that that I didn't come to that realization until late in in the writing process, where I was beginning to think because I was writing about curiosity in heaven, right? And how there's the wonder of heaven is the fact that we get to spend eternity exploring and experiencing new amazing things about God because because we will never run out. Otherwise, if we, if we were to ever run out, heaven would become the doldrums. Hmm. So what is hell? I mean, I, I believe that hell is a real thing. Yes. I'm trying that to there's describe, eternal is, separation yes, from God. There's, there's an eternal judgment on those who are not followers of Christ. But what is that? Why is that? And it dawned on me that that hell is for people who have decided that they no longer need curiosity about God. They mm. determined what their truth about God was and that what God said about himself was not good enough. And so they they set their own course. And so if for eternity, they they will be saying, I know what I need to know, and I don't want what he has to say. He is being it- God. I think you make the connection in the book, if I remember right, but that's a little bit like C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, right? Where, yeah. where people walk around in their own head the whole time, convinced mm-hmm. in this perpetual state of gray yeah. that, that they've got it all figured out, nobody else is wrong, or nobody else is right, everybody else is wrong, mm-hmm. and they've got it figured out. 
Yeah, they so so in the Great Divorce, they they leave the gray town and they go to this paradise place, mm. and and the wonder of it is too much for them. And yes. like walking on the grass causes them Hurts magnificent them. pain and things like that. And and so that that is an an incredible depiction of what it what it what it means when we have bailed on curiosity about the wonders of God. And that's that is what hell is. It is a place mm. where God cannot be beautiful because we have said he cannot be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And he honors our choices into eternity. Right. Wow. Yeah. So this is, this is, um, you know, it's intellectual, it's philosophical, it's an approach to life. It's a worldview. Um, but it's also very practical. I mean, this impacts how you live, mm -hmm. how you lead, what kind of husband you are, what kind of parent you are. Obviously we've already talked about that but also what kind of leader you are. What are the signs of a curious leader? How do you know, for the leaders who are listening, how do they know, am I really a curious person? Am I not? Well, first of all, if you're not asking that question, you're probably not. Uh, but <laughs> how do you know? Well, I think, I think asking questions is a good start, but, uh, but asking, asking kind of unusual and creative questions uh, is, is an aspect of it where... Um, so because because it means you're observing things from unusual perspectives. Mm -hmm. So instead of just saying, well, how do we solve this problem where right. you're, you're bringing in outside influences into your thinking and into into your question asking. But I think a huge aspect of being a a curious leader is listening because mm. a lot of leaders ask questions. But are they listening to are they listening to the people on their team? Are they listening to the needs of the people that they serve? So whether that's a church congregation or a mm. customer base, are they listening to the industry or yeah. the ministry field in which they are to say who is doing what well, who's doing what badly? Are they listening to outside um, fields that may have something to say to this? So, I mean, a, a very practical example would be I recently read uh, the book. Uh, team of Rivals by uh, oh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. So okay, uh, about oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about Abraham Lincoln's cabinet, and it's it's not a leadership book. It's no. a biography. It's actually sort of a, a whole woven together set of biographies. But there's so much in there that could be applied to team leadership, to conflict resolution, to our current mm -hmm. American political state. Goodness sakes, I would love it if our government people would just read that book and take you know take notes. But uh, but that's an example where you, you bring in history to influence your leadership. Yeah. You bring in fiction to influence your leadership. You bring in, um, you know, just those kinds of things. Yep. Because I'm skeptical of any leader whose only interest is leadership. Mm. Well, sometimes you learn the best sideways. I agree. Um, you yep. know, for example, I just finished Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. Oh, fantastic. Book. Oh, my gosh. What an incredible book. I mean, it's got language in it. Warning, warning, warning. But <laughs> I mean, funny. a brilliant exposition of American culture uh, from a very unlikely source in a, in a young lawyer who, who writes exceptionally well. Like what, yeah. what insight for 31, 32, whatever he is like. Oh my gosh, it's brilliant. And probably the best book I've read this year, I've read a number of them already, a lot of them in the leadership category, uh, but like just totally like, whoa, that was, that was great. And I always, yeah. I often find that curious leaders, you, you call that reading outside your discipline. So for example, in some of the podcasts I listen to, you listen to investment bankers and they will tell you their best investment decisions come when they're not reading in the financial industry uh, but they're studying astronomy or they're studying something else. And then they make some connections yeah. to something in investing. They go make a trade and boom, you know, they're up a, a million dollars or whatever they are. 
And and if we want to delve into why that is, it's mm-hmm. because like God, it, God did not create our minds in in a set of parallel rows. That this right. is you know this is my investment banking row, this is my leadership row, this is my parenting row. We are a web. Mm-hmm. Everything in terms of thoughts and emotions and relationships is a web. And so one thing will connect to another because maybe maybe something you learned at work improves you as a parent. A, a conversation you overhear improves your relationship with your spouse. You right. know, these these are all things that connect. And curiosity is how we just we push the good stuff into that web so that it all begins to connect uh, in in a way that's that's influential. I think what, one last thought on curiosity yeah. and leadership is that curiosity makes us empathetic people. And a leader needs to have a high level of of emotional intelligence and empathy. Hmm. The ability to understand the people who they lead, to understand how they need to be led, how do they learn, how do they handle conflict, how do they how are they feeling when something goes sideways? And because it, it's it's not about leadership is not all about solutions. It's it is about developing people. Yeah. And I mean, it is both, but it's not one or the other. And so curiosity is the way that you begin to actually gain an understanding at the mind and heart level of the people you lead because Mm -hmm. you ask them questions. You have conversations with them. You observe them carefully when there is conflict and you go, okay, that person is shrinking away and that person's about ready to come to blows, you know, neither, neither of which are terribly healthy. So how do we lead effectively for both of those people? And just as an example. Yeah, no, I think that's good. So just to summarize, it's not just asking questions to get to the bottom line or get through the meeting. It's not just asking questions that will hopefully support the view that you are going to have anyway. It's really listening. It's paying attention. It's empathy. It's Mm -hmm. asking outside of the box questions. What is the difference between simply asking questions and being truly curious? Can you, can you drill down on that a little more? Well, asking questions that those are just, those are words, you know, A, a question can be a, a lot of different things. A question can be a challenge. I can ask you a question right. just to show you how much you don't know. Barnabas, did you, you get that done? Right. Yeah, that, that's that's a question, that's a, but that's like that's threat. an accusation. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Or or to to challenge authority. You can ask a question to undermine. You can ask mm. a question for a lot of different reasons. I mean, anybody who's a parent knows this because you have kids. You they start out asking honest questions, and then as they get older, their questions take on more and more sort of subterfuge. <laughs> you know, and you're like, hmm, of an what are you really trying? What are you really yeah. trying to get here? Um, and so. Questions are the currency of curiosity, but only honest, humble questions, mm. because curiosity has to, for it to thrive has to be inherently humble. It is an acknowledgement that I do not know things and an acknowledgement that I don't know what I don't know. And so that's where these questions come from. It is it is this open handed, open minded attitude of I have so much I could discover and so a question that comes from that place is one that can actually lead to growth, to learning, to development, to those connections. But a question that's coming from, I think I know the answer to this, or mm-hmm. I think I have my opinion already formed about you as a leader or you as a coworker, that's not a curious question. That's a uh, that's just a tool in someone's hand to, to to work to their ends. I think about my two decades as a leader in the church, and I think a lot of my early questions, I was trying to drive at the answer I was hoping to hear. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what changed for me, but certainly in the last decade, 
Um, and I realized it was very vulnerable territory, but when you're asking a question, you sincerely want to know, like even as simple as Barnabas, how are you? Right. And let's say yeah. the answer is not what I want to hear. Let's say things are not going well. Let's say mm-hmm. you're thinking of leaving. Let's say you're, you know, fill in the blank. There's a part of me as a leader that doesn't want to hear it. But mm-hmm. when, when I do hear it and when I'm ready to respond, when I'm ready to put the rest of my day aside or, um, completely change priorities when I think about leading you and it's like, well, we got to get Barnabas well, or we've got to, we've got to help him here. Right. Um, that when I've, when I've led under leaders like that, that, that is revolutionary and it's rare because a lot of leaders are just like, I just want to know you're okay so that we can get onto what we have to accomplish yeah, right. here today. Yeah, it's like a status check. Like when they're when right. they're doing, they do the checklist on an airplane before they take off. They're like left engine, right engine, <laughs> switches. Like that's that's not that's not caring. That's just no. that's a checklist. Yeah, so I curiosity think, um, and caring are they related? Yes, because hmm. um, because people people are dynamic. Um, hmm. If people were static beings, yeah. um, you could learn everything there was to know, and then you would know exactly how to interact with that person every day for all time. But people are dynamic, which means life constantly changes. People grow. They, they both evolve and devolve. You know, they yeah. get better and worse. They, you know, life circumstances change and you don't know what those things are. What's going on at home? What's what happened on the drive into work today? What phone call did they just get? And so and so curiosity is is the mindset of caring to say, right, you seem like things are not as good today as they were yesterday. Like what What's going on? What is, why is this bothering you? And that's, that's the empathy and the, the emotional intelligence I was talking about to just look at somebody and recognize, I know you well enough to know that something is not quite right. And, and this is a, this is an ongoing thing. Like this is because people constantly change and because I, I'm not a terribly empathetic person (laughs) by nature. I'm, I'm much more comfortable treating everybody as like just okay we're all in this to solve a problem and so we're not going to we're not really going to worry about how anybody is we're just going to solve the problem so for me as i began to delve into curiosity in this way it was more of a kind of a, mm. a personal like oh i have to i have to hold myself to the standard i am writing about here because <laughs> yeah. it's not an easy thing to do but yeah so curiosity and caring curiosity and and empathy and connection to somebody are absolutely connected. They're not the same thing, mm-hmm. but curiosity feeds the ability to care for somebody well. Yeah, in other words, you'll never be truly a curious person if you don't have some level of empathy and some level of care for the answer or the person on the other end of the answer. Right. Is curiosity a skill? Can it be learned? And how would you learn it? Uh, yes, it is a skill. Uh, it is not one skill, though. Okay. It is... Because it because it can take because if I was to say that I would begin to to set a bar that a lot of people would feel like they can't hit hmm. because that we have you have listeners who are incredibly introverted and leaders or uh, and listeners who are incredibly extroverted you have leaders yeah. who have or uh, listeners who have broad interests and then people who just have one area of expertise that they hone in on and I would simply say good all of <laughs> those. All of those are are the way God made people to be. And so curiosity can be expressed within those contexts. Um, so you can you can be a very quiet, introverted, very curious person. You can be a curious person who is a researcher. So you 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 latch onto one thing mm-hmm. and you dig in and you mine it for all it's worth. Or you can be a, a generalist who's curious and you make connections between 105 different things on any given day. 
and one is not more valuable than the other, typical of the way God does things, we all need each other. Right. And so I can see that, right? It's curiosity in the micro or the macro. Mm -hmm. You can get somebody who's cross-disciplinary and asking a thousand questions about a thousand different things. Or, you know, the guy who's into quantum physics and some tiny substrain of quantum physics who just Mm -hmm. keeps going deeper and deeper. And it really becomes submolecular at a certain point, right? Where literally literally it is. And okay, I get get that. So let's talk about the the curiosity in teams, curiosity Mm -hmm. in organizations, because we do have a lot of leaders listening. And so some people are like, okay, I think I'm naturally curious. Others are like, I don't know whether I am, but I'm curious enough to keep listening. Um, what <laughs> is, hopefully I haven't lost him. Yeah, what is the implication? Like what will curiosity bring to a team? And then what mm-hmm. will curiosity bring to an organization? Because I think these are important questions. Yeah, I think um, most teams and organizations exist for a purpose. You know, they, they at least have a purpose statement, a vision statement, a goal statement, you know, the yeah. different whatever name they give it. Um, curiosity is the means to figure out all of the best ways to fulfill those visions and goals as a team or as an organization. Um, if your mission is to, as a church, is to reach your community for Christ, right. well, curiosity says, who is my community? Not just not just statistically, but like, what are their names? Mm-hmm. What are their demographics? What are what do they do for jobs? What do they do on Sundays? What do they do for work? What do they do? Uh, what what programs are their kids in? Are they are they single parents? Or I mean, just so on and so forth. And you begin to be passionately curious about the people who are part of your vision, because yeah. community represents people. So you want to reach them for Christ, and then all the questions of, well, how does the truth that I believe connect with these? people, not just this generic idea of community. Mm-hmm. That's an example. And then, but let's, let's take that, let's take that inside the church building. Inside the church building, if, if the goal of the church is to reach a community for Christ, well, we've got a, a student ministry and a kids ministry and a small groups ministry and a worship ministry. Well, each of them has, has a specific, um, context in which they can do that. But are you curious enough to say, how do we work together on this? How does the kids ministry and the student ministry, how does the student ministry and the worship ministry, how does the groups ministry and the outreach ministry, how how are we working together? How well do we know each other to know they meet a need better than I do? Hmm. And so we should we should lean on them to to meet the needs of this this person because because that's where the strength is. And then, okay, let's take it outside the walls of the church again. Do you know that there are other churches in your city who are better at things than you are? Right. They they have a, a phenomenal ministry to the homeless. They have a single mother's ministry that is that is rich and wonderful mm. and and blessing those women. They have, um, I don't know, pick pick your favorite. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Churches do these things. Why do you need to start your own half-baked one when somebody else is already killing it? But you have to be curious enough to know who is good at what and humble enough in that curiosity to say, well, what? how can we strengthen them so that they can strengthen us so that we can represent Christ to our community? So these are all things that like – these are just examples of how curiosity can make connections between people, between people and truth, between people and people, between people and ideas – to between people and physical needs being met, that's that's all done by having this this humble, eager curiosity to say we have a vision, but what are all the different ways that we can get there? 
And you know, I love the the examples you gave. And I'm just I'm just gonna, you know, share what I think some leaders are probably thinking. It's like, wow, that sounds exhausting. Like I <laughs> I got everything into a lane, yeah. I got everything organized, everything fits into its column, everything fits into its category, everything's aligned with our strategy. And to really have an open and a curious mind, it it takes me into places where I don't know whether I want to go. Like it's, it's just a lot of work and I got to sit down. I got to listen to people. I got to pray to people. I got, you know, wow, this is, this is difficult. So, I mean, I can see why people don't end up there mm-hmm. um, in a very, on a regular way, but, but hold out the promise. I mean, when you think about, cause when you're the leader, that sounds tiring. Right. And I've been on both sides <clears throat> of the equation. Uh, but when you're on the team or part of the church, how how does that deliver for you? How is that a better environment than the narrow, stay in your lane, keep your head down, do what you're yeah. told, run your program and don't bother anyone? Like, what are the implications organizationally yeah. and team-wise? Well, I mean, I guess my, I would start by asking, if you're a leader who's not willing to do the tiring thing, what in the world are you doing? Like, <laughs> you're, you're useless. Um, because Because leadership is tiring. It is. Buckle up. Um, that's, that's the nature of the job is to, is to lead people. So you are the first man through the door. You're the one who's breaking down barriers. You're the one who's, who's finding the solutions to the problems Mm. or at least encountering the problems so that your team can help you find a solution. So yeah, yeah, that's exhausting. And that's, that's okay. I, and I guess I would just say usually the simplest, um, or the, I shouldn't say the simplest, the easiest solutions are not usually the most effective. Um, if that was the case, we'd still be leeching people to help them get better from being sick because that's way easier than like surgery and creating penicillin and all of these <laughs> things that, that, that have been done over the years. Um, so th- the promise here is that, is that curiosity has a multiplying effect. Yeah. So it multiplies beauty. It multiplies the strengths of people. What you and your little ministry can do is not nearly what it could do if it was connected to those who are better at things than you are. That's a multiplying effect. Um, it will multiply the encouragement because you will get to see how God is working in other places and through other people and in ways you have yet to imagine. That's And so, so all of the things that are good about ministry can be multiplied by invested curiosity and then, and then following up on it and following up through it. And it is work, but it is it, and then I would say that just the a curious church as a whole is an environment that people want to be in. Yes. You know, if if we want to reach people who don't know Christ, um they they don't want to go to a place that portrays itself as here are here's your here's your complete and full list of answers. Go home and study and come back next week. Yeah. But a, but a place that is passionately curious about them as a person, about their needs, about their questions, and then and then brings them with this curious wonder into the presence of God to say, this is where those needs are met. Your spiritual needs are met here. Your wholeness needs are met here. Your your identity needs are met here. And but there there's a joyful humility in that as opposed yeah. to a kind of an, an arrogant answer side of things. And I think it is it is the essence of arrogance to say we just we just buckle up and do our ministry and we don't worry about what anybody else is doing. It's because that is that is how God designed the church to be is that the, mm-hmm. the church body is a collection of believers working together and the church is 
should be part of the greater capital C church body working together. And it's curiosity that helps set that up. Well, and I think, I think, you know, one of the things that's underneath everything you've been saying so far, which, which deserves just pulling out is I think we all know that curiosity and innovation are inherently linked. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is no way that you're an innovator if you're not curious. I mean, you're, you're trying to screw parts together on an engine that nobody has ever put together before. You're trying to do math that hasn't been done before. You're doing science that hasn't been done before. And you're doing thinking that really mm-hmm. most people would ridicule you for in the early days of innovation. And I think if there's anything a church needs right now, the church needs right now, we need some innovation. I mean, things yeah. are stalling out left, right, and center. And we think simply by copying we are going to get to a better future. And there's a little bit of not reinventing the wheel. But uh, I totally appreciate what you're saying with that. And I would think, and you know, innovators are inherently curious. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I try to I highlight several of them in, in the mm. book just as stories. I mean, I, from the baseball world, I mentioned Billy Bean and his innovative approach to, to player evaluation. And Steve Jobs is like, he's mm-hmm. kind of a classic Icon. in there. And we were talking beforehand about Brian Grazer, the uh, mm-hmm. the film producer, who who he's he's got his own book about curiosity, and it's and it's mostly built around conversations with people, and and so all of these people who have been innovative storytellers, uh, product creators, uh, business leaders, and and yeah, they the curiosity just drives them. And Brian Grazer, I mean, that book you and I both read it. I mean, really fascinating because I mean, he starts at the lowest rung of the ladder in Hollywood. Yeah. And just really, if you look at a subtext for his whole life, it's like, why not? Why can't I just get into yeah. a studio with the president of MGM? Stu- you know, a meeting with the president of MGM Studios. Why can't I meet all these? famous influential actors. Yeah, why, why can't, can't I, I have dinner with Fidel Castro? Exactly. Why can't I? And it was his curiosity and his tenacity that got him to where he is as the head of one of the biggest production companies in Hollywood today. It's fascinating. So what advice would you give to the non-curious? Um, I think everybody has everybody has the means to be curious because mm-hmm. because curiosity is can start I mean, you don't have to get up from where you're sitting listening to this. If you're standing there doing the dishes with your earbuds in or this playing in the kitchen, curiosity starts with thinking. Mm. It's, it's just you've got the capacity in your own mind. God gave you that because we are all image bearers, which means we are all like there's more yeah. to us than we give credit. So just start close to home. You know, you can start with conversations with the people you live with, roommates or family members, whoever it is, you can start with your neighborhood. I mean, I would just tell somebody, what's a restaurant in your neighborhood that you haven't been to? Go, hmm. go, go and eat there because you'll probably see somebody you haven't met. You may try food you haven't tried. It maybe it's from a country you don't know anything about. Um, something as simple as drive a different route to work so that you yeah. see a different, you see a different part of your city. We are just, we are creatures of habit and routine. And while that, again, while that creates an easy structure to life, it, it creates no context for curiosity. We have, to, we have to branch out of that. We have to get out of our wheel rut to say, what don't I know? Who don't I know? Where can I start? And just start close to home and work your way out. There are going to be some people who are like, you know, I've always wanted to travel to the Himalayas. Good. Do that. Mm-hmm. For other people, it's, it's just shaking hands across the back fence with a neighbor. Yeah. And striking up a curious conversation with a person who you, you just, you know, from 25 feet away in a head nod. 
And every time I always challenge myself, you know, because I think cynicism and curiosity are linked as well, and I have to be so careful. But when I find myself getting a little bit cynical, I'll just like, I already know the answer to that question. It's like, no, 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 actually ask the question. Like, okay, so, oh, really? Tell tell me why. And then just shut up and listen. It's amazing what you can learn when you shut up and listen, when you're actually open to an answer, when... When you listen, when you look into somebody's eyes, it can start as, as simple as that. Uh, okay, I got to ask you before we wrap up, what are you most curious about these days? Oh, man, what am I most curious about these days? Um, well, we probably can't dive into the depths of this, but I'm curious about the direction America is going. That's a, that's uh-huh. an interesting one. You and that's me a, both. Yeah, and uh, like I said, let's let's keep this upbeat, so let's not go there. <laughs> um, I Right now, one of the things I'm curious about as a writer um, is poetry. Because it is a genre of writing I don't know anything about, and it has intimidated me for years. Because I've always felt like there are poetry experts, and then there's me, and I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what's good. But it's something I've started to kind of dabble in, both trying to write it, which is those will never see the light of day, but, uh, but just in terms of reading it, because there's an expression of beauty there, there's an expression of truth there, there's a there's a way with words there that is. Um, that's profound. I mean, if you can, if you can write in, in a specific rhyme scheme and meter and communicate a pile of truth, that's a gift. And if I could, if I could learn a fraction of what great poets can do with words, I think that would help me very much as a writer, but it, it would, it would help me see truth differently. It helps me think better in it. And those are things that then carry on into, I mean, things as simple as leadership and work. Like if you can, if you can, Mm be better in the world of poetry. You can write a better email. Yeah. And so, I mean, these, these are the kinds of connections that, and I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it because I want to enjoy it and love it and see beauty in it. But, but that's a world that I've begun to, to kind of wade into those waters a little bit just to, to explore and learn and, and see what is there. That's really cool. So the book is called the curious Christian, the curious Christian. Let me say that again. And uh, where can people find the book, and where can people find you online, Barnabas? Yeah, the if they go to curiouschristianbook.com, there's mm-hmm. uh, they they can find out more information about the book. There's also about a seven or eight question evaluation to sort of gauge their curiosity. So it's a oh, cool. it's just a quick mul- multiple choice. Uh, and it's, you know, I wrote it. So there's, there's a little bit of, uh, sarcasm and humor in there to, <laughs> to poke fun at people because that's, that's fun. So curiouschristianbook.com. And then I can be found, um, on Facebook. Um, I think it's just facebook.com slash B Piper and then at Barnabas Piper on Twitter. Those are two, uh, those are probably the two easiest places. That's great. Barnabas, once again, thank you so much. Excited Absolutely. for this. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed being on with you. Isn't this great? I mean, I just, I just think, wow, when you can have like long, engaging conversations like that, even about a subject that, that are thoughtful and, and helpful, I just think we all win. And uh, I hope you're going to go out there and have similar conversations this week. We live in a pretty polemicized, uh, polarized culture. And I just think being able to talk about issues and talk through and pray through issues and, and even to have longer form conversations on abstract ideas like curiosity. Um, really, really cool. So anyway, if you want more, you can go to the show notes. You can find them all at leadlikeneverbefore.com. Just search Barnabas Piper or go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 144. We are back next week with a brand new episode. You guys know that. Every Tuesday, fresh one comes out. And next week, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation 
with a guy named Reggie Campbell. Now, you may never have heard of Reggie. He's written a number of books. He's part of North Point Church, but I promise you, all the influencers at North Point and around Atlanta, they know who this guy is. And he talks all about radical mentorship. Um, so hang on, here's a, a snippet from next week's conversation. You can't get there with the blind leading the blind, the immature leading the immature. You need someone at the head of the table who is on mission and purposeful and uh, who's willing to kind of be honest. Someone who's discerning and courageous and, and who can build a trust environment to the degree that you trust me enough to listen to me challenge you and not get mad at me. Well, I'm pumped for that. So that's Reggie Campbell next week on mentoring. And uh, we'll talk all about that. If you subscribe, you get it for free. Thank you. We are up to over 460 reviews right now on iTunes, which is phenomenal. If you've appreciated the podcast, can you leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts? And again, uh, feel free to share this with family and friends and anybody else you think uh, would benefit from it. So, hey, thanks to trainedup.church. And if you haven't checked out the Orange Tour yet, go to orangetour.org. That starts in September and you don't want to miss it before it sells out. So we're back next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.